Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our interior lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Each season, we'll read through a great work, explain its spiritual principles, and help you apply its timeless wisdom to your life. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Confessions by St. Augustine. A few reminders before we get started. To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text CONFESSIONS to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. This is day four. Today we will be reading book one, chapters 17 through 20 in the Ascension edition of the book. If you'd like to hear some of our conversations on other subjects, follow up with us and three of our brother priests on the podcast God's Planning. There you'll find weekly episodes and a variety of Catholic themes with occasional guests, scriptural meditations, and special series. You can find God's Planning with any podcast app on YouTube and at godsplanning.org. Before we get into the reading, a quick look at what we're covering today. Today, we're covering the last few chapters of book one. So, signpost again, word of encouragement. We're almost, we're wrapping up book one. That's awesome. Keep up the great work. Today, uh, St. Augustine, in these chapters, as he finishes the book, uh, continues his reflection on the errors of his youth, on the sinfulness of his youth, and the further sort of deepening or taking root of the vices in his life that will continue to shape him as a young man and as we as we go into book two. He brings up the important reality or an important reality of God, again, a, a, which will be a constant theme of Thanksgiving for St. Augustine, and, and that's the reality of God's patience for and with us. And he reflects on how it is that in these early years of his of his infancy, as we covered in a couple of previous episodes of his boyhood, as he begins to sort of fall into these vices, that God remains patient and merciful and waiting for him. So we'll, we'll uh, investigate these a bit further, but before we do, let's get started with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work, too, may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Chapter 17. Bear with me, O God, while I say something about my wit, your gift and about the nonsense that I wasted it upon. For a task was placed before me, one that was troublesome enough for my soul, bringing either praise or shame, as well as fear of being beaten, calling me to speak the words of Juno as she raged and mourned that she could not turn this Trojan prince from Italy. And I had heard that Juno never uttered such words, yet we were forced to wander astray along the footpaths of these poetic fictions, speaking in prose form much of what he expressed in verse. And the greatest of praise was heaped upon him who expressed passions of rage and grief with the greatest vigor, clothing his language with the most fitting words, maintaining the dignity of the given character. What does it matter for me, O my true life, O my God, that my declamations were applauded so much more than many others of my own age and class? Is not all this merely smoke in the wind? And could I not have found something else to give exercise to my wit and tongue? Your praises, O Lord, your praises might have supported the still tender shoot of my heart upon the word of your scriptures, and thus would they have avoided vining out amid such trifling vanities, a disgraceful prey for the birds of the air. 
for in more ways than one do men sacrifice to the rebellious angels. Chapter 18 But it is thus surprising that I have thus carried away to vanities and passed out of your presence, O my God, when the men who were set before me as models were humiliated when they spoke inelegantly or made some grammatical error when recounting some deed of theirs, one that was not itself evil, all the while glorying, when, with rich, adorned, and well-constructed words, they spoke about their own disordered lives, receiving praise for their declarations. All these things you see, O Lord, and still hold in your peace for you, are long-suffering and full of mercy and truth. Will you hold your peace forever? And even now you draw out from this horrible pit the souls that seek you, that thirst for your pleasures, whose heart says unto you, I have sought your face, your face, O Lord, will I seek. For darkened affection is far removed from your face. Indeed, men do not depart from you or return to you by walking upon their feet or changing their physical location. Your younger son did not look for horses, chariots, or ships, or to fly upon visible wings, nor did he journey by the running of his limbs so that he might in a far country waste in riotous living all that you gave him upon his departure. You were a loving father when you gave this to him, and even more loving when he returned empty-handed. Thus, we are truly distant from your face through lustful, that is, darkened affections. Behold, O Lord God, behold with your customary patience how carefully the sons of men observe the grammatical covenant, governing the use of letters and syllables, receiving from those who spoke before them, all the while neglecting the eternal covenant of everlasting salvation received from you. So much is this true that a teacher or student of the inherited laws of pronunciation will cause more offense to men by failing to pronounce his H by saying human being in defiance of the laws of grammar than he would cause if he, a human being, happens to hate a human being in defiance of your laws, as though any enemy could be more harmful than the hatred that enrages him against his fellow man, or any wound deeper for him than the very wounds he inflicts upon his soul through such enmity. Surely no knowledge of letters can be as innate as the record of conscience that he is doing to someone else something that he himself would hate to suffer. How deep are your ways, O God, you who alone are great, sitting in silence on high, punishing men with blindness for their lawless desires, all in accord with your unfailing law. Seeking fame for eloquence, a man will stand before a human judge surrounded by a crowd of humans speaking loudly against his enemy with fiercest hatred, taking the greatest care lest his tongue might slip and cause him to misuse the word human being, all the while heedless of the possibility that he might, with his frenzied mind, harm a man who is here in his presence. Chapter 19 This was the world that stood open before me in my boyhood, misery, afraid more of committing an error in speech than of the envy I felt when I made a mistake and saw others who had not. I speak of and confess these matters to you, O my God, and I received praise for this from men whom I at the time thought it was virtuous to please, for I did not see the foul abyss into which I was cast away from your eyes. Before your gaze, what was fouler than I, displeasing even those who were like me? With countless lies I deceived my tutor, my masters, and my parents, all for the love of play, eagerness to behold useless shows, and out of the restless desire to imitate them. Thefts I did commit as well, stealing from my parents' cellar and table, enslaved by greed or in order to have something to give my fellow boys, who sold me their games, which all the while they liked no less than I. 
Likewise, as we played, I often sought to conquer my fellows by unfair means, all the while conquering myself through the vain desire for preeminence. And was it not true that the very thing that I was doing to others was something that I myself would not endure, or when I detected it, would rebuke with great ferocity? And if I were detected doing this and was rebuked, did I not choose to quarrel about the matter rather than to admit my wrongdoing? Now is this mere boyhood innocence? No, Lord, no, it is not. I cry out to you for mercy, O my God, for as our years ripen, these very sins are transformed from tutors and masters and from nuts, balls, and sparrows to magistrates and kings to gold, manners, and slaves, just as more severe punishments come to replace the rod. Therefore, it was the short stature of childhood that you, our king, commended as a symbol of humility when you said that the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Chapter 20 Yet, O Lord, to you, creator and ruler of the universe, most excellent and most good, thanks would be owed to you, our God, even if you had destined me only to live the years of my boyhood. For even then I existed, lived, and experienced the world, caring for my own well-being, a trace of the mysterious unity from which I was derived. By my inward sense I guarded the integrity of my senses, and in these trifling pursuits and in my thoughts about trifling affairs, I learned to delight in the truth, hated to be deceived, had a vigorous memory, was a gifted speaker, was soothed by friendship, and avoided pain, dejection, and ignorance. And so small a creature, what was not marvelous, what not worthy of praise? But all were gifts from my God. I was not the one who gave them to me. And how good are all these things? And taken together, they are me. Good, then, is he that made me, and he is my good. And before him I will exalt for every good that I had as a boy. For my sin was that I sought out pleasures, grandeurs, and truths, not in him but in his creatures, in myself and in others, and thus fell headlong into sorrows, confusion, and errors. Thanks be given to you, O my joy, O my glory, O my confidence, O my God. Thanks be to you for your gifts. But I pray that you preserve them for me. For thus will you preserve me, and those things that you have given me will be enlarged and perfected, and I myself shall be with you, for even my very being has come from you. Okay, we're on the downhill slope still with St. Augustine. Um, it's, it's all right. You know, there's hope to be had because we know the end of the story, but he continues in his in his later boyhood years in these chapters to slide into sin and error. We've talked about this in the preceding episodes, and we kind of made mention, but I think it's worth making mention here of, of habits, of why there is this sort of, I mean, we probably experience it in our own lives if we fall into some vice or sin or on the opposite, you know, growing in virtue too. Why why it is that there are these patterns in our lives? And it's simply because as human beings, we function in habitual ways. You know, we build habits of living. An example that I like to use is on the on the bad side of on the vice side is that, you know, a liar is a liar because he lies. You know, he builds habits of lying and he becomes accustomed to it and becomes kind of second nature. So in these chapters, St. Augustine has been talking about the ways by which and some of the reasons why he's kind of developed these sort of sins, this brokenness, this vicious way of living, of, of lust and of, of vainglory and of disobedience. And, you know, it's because as we've read through the infancy and the boyhood, as boyhood that we've seen sort of the habits being formed. And once those are formed, they, they can be broken 
you know, God's mercy and grace comes to bear on that, but they become more difficult to break through. So, Father Gregory, some thoughts on on that, on what on St. Augustine's reflections of his own woundedness and brokenness. What are you thinking here? Yeah, I think, um, you know, many listeners, you're, you're probably thinking about your own experience, whether raising kids or preparing to raise kids, and the hair breadth difference between a child who makes it out alive and a child who doesn't can be heartbreakingly narrow. So, you know, you're trying to encourage the faith in your child, and um, you don't want to be too heavy-handed, but you also don't want to be too easygoing. And you see here how very slight is the difference between a downward path and a path of righteousness or an upward path. And I think that, um, you know, like for a parent or for a parent's heart, this has to, you know, throw one back on the divine providence and also on the life of prayer. Like if you're going to help your child to grow attached to the faith and grow attached to our Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to be first by modeling the faith, but also by submitting all of your corrections and encouragements to the divine wisdom, because it's just so stinking difficult. And it just seems like the chances of error are potentially infinite, which they are, you know, and especially in the 21st century. I don't know if it's more or less difficult than the fourth century, but with like, you know, the availability of internet pornography and social media, certainly your children are exposed to a lot of things at a young age, uh, which might even make St. Augustine blush. So, um, yeah, it's just further encouragement to be really, what, vigilant when it comes to forming good habits in your kids and modeling those habits for them. Yeah, St. Augustine has this interesting way by which he introduces us to the sort of the shallowness of the world in which he's living. He reflects on his lessons in in oration and reading and what the concern is there, you know, who receives praise and who doesn't receive praise. And he, in our edition here in the translation, we use the word, uh, I mean, it's in, in the original too, but the, the word for human and whether or not the H, obviously, you know, St. Augustine wasn't speaking in English, but whether or not the H is pronounced or not pronounced at the beginning of human or if, if it's pronounced properly. And praise is given to those who are pronouncing the words correctly in their recitations even though what they might be reciting about their own life is a bunch of debauchery and immoral actions and just vice. And, you know, that doesn't really matter. There's a sort of indifference or even a praise of that sort of living. But what matters is whether or not you can pronounce words correctly and get the material right. There's really no consideration for the content of life in the world that St. Augustine's living. So we can see how these habits are just kind of encouraged or at least um, there's an indifference to moral right living in the pursuit of the good because the good is confused here and the good is pronunciation, not virtue. So in that, we're kind of he's kind of mired in this way of living. That's not to say he's excused from his own choices, but we can see how the world affects him and and is growing up and that sort of thing. So, but it's at this point too that Augustine comments on on the patience of God, of God's mercy at work even in these moments. So well, I was going to ask, I don't know if you have an experience of God's patience in your own life, Father Gregory, but I won't insist on your vulnerability here. Uh, but maybe we can at least talk about God's waiting, God's the sort of the patience of God on, on his end and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think like often enough that patience is mediated through the patience of those with whom we live or the patience of our friends. Because sometimes when, when somebody corrects us very sternly, we're like, you know, get off your high horse, back off, give me space. The person might be right, but we kind of hate them for being right rather than sympathizing with what it is that they share. And I think that, um, you know, you, you have good friends who are willing to accompany you through life's ups and downs. And the person might be frustrated with you at a particular venture. And you can recognize that like 
in his or her eyes as you're chatting or in his or her communications. It's like, ooh, a little bit of snippetude there. But you appreciate it in, you know, in hindsight as part of an ongoing story whereby, okay, that person's still here. Like I have a kind of confidence in this relationship because I know, you know, come hell or high water, that person's still gonna be here. And that's incredibly helpful for me because left to my own devices, I'm gonna push everybody away. I'm just gonna do it because I'm a little crazy dude. But if people, you know, in their long sufferingness and their generosity stick with me, that is just a great grace. And it helps me to live life well, you know, spurred on by their excellence and also, you know, encouraged by the graces that I receive in the, in the setting of those relationships. And and to experience that at the level of human friendship or family is just, you know, it's just a faint shadow. I mean, it's, it's already God at work through the instrumentality of these people with whom he has surrounded us, but, but God's unmediated or direct dispersal of that patience, of that generosity is even more potent. And I think that St. Augustine gives us an indication of that, even while he sees God permitting a certain downward trajectory in light of the upward trajectory, which is to follow. Yeah, there's, you know, God doesn't need anything. He doesn't properly receive anything, but God is always, we could say, ready to receive us when we are ready to give ourselves, to surrender to his mercy. So, you know, we see this in the life of of so many saints and of people perhaps whom we know and even in our own experiences that that when we come back to God, when we beg his forgiveness and mercy, he's he's ready to receive our, you know, our prayers and our supplications and then to bestow his grace and mercy. And, and St. Augustine's reflections here on, on this point of his life, I, th- I would imagine that's, that's what he's thinking too, that like, despite his downward trajectory at this current moment, you know, our heavenly father awaits his return, his coming back. So there's even, even a sort of Thanksgiving in that reality itself. But before we get to Augustine's conversion, there's a bit more to say because he says a bit more about this downward spiral, this this sort of building of vice and bad habits. And again, what he describes here probably isn't all too different from a lot of experiences of growing up. Um, you know, so he talks about like stealing a bit from his parents and trying to show off to his friends. He's cheating at games with his friends. He has this this sort of very relatable kind of ex- description of how, you know, if he caught his friend cheating, he would sort of ream him out for it. But if he got caught cheating, he would totally deny it and that sort of thing. You know, it's just like, yeah, all of, but all of this, I think at least the problem as I see it is like, those are bad things, stealing and cheating and, and lying, but it's also the objectification of other people, you know, using his parents for what he can get from them, using his friends to, to sort of earn the praise of winning and doing better than them. There's this sort of increased desire for things vain. And we see this in small things that then become larger things in his life. So his recounting of it, again, it's sort of these seminal, these kind of seed settings of, of vice and bad habits that are beginning to grow and will continue to grow. So Yeah, thoughts about stealing, cheating, lying, vanity, good things, bad things. I don't know what he thinks. (laughs) (laughs) Most of the bad things. Um, I think it's just super easy to get distracted from what actually matters or to think things that don't really matter that much do matter that much. And like, you know, we we have lived, you and I have lived in Washington, D.C. for various points of formation and beyond. And it's very easy in a D.C. setting to introduce yourself and everyone wants to talk about like, oh, what do you do? Where'd you go to school? It's kind of like you know, you're estimable on account of your status or your pedigree and things like that, which is, you know, it's just what it is. That's one way of starting a conversation. But it's very easy to go from those conversations to thinking that that stuff really matters. And I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm just saying it doesn't matter the most. 
But then you're like, okay, well, I transfer that to another setting. Think about like the parish setting. Well, people can care about things in the parish setting, which don't really matter that much. Like as a layperson, dear listener, your baptismal grace is for transforming this present evil age. It's for testifying to the glory of God in the midst of your various relationships, whether sacred or secular, you know, like at the convenience store, in the school setting, right, in the workplace, wherever it is. Like you are not a better person by virtue of the fact that you are an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion or a lector, you know? And so you see some people care a lot about that stuff and the way that they pronounce the words from the ambo, it's like, I'm a very important lector. It's like, sweet Christmas, save us from thinking that we are very important lectors. So even though, you know, we might not steal from our parents or we might not cheat at games, there are different ways in which we can lose sight of what is most important, and that's the glory of God and the salvation of souls and our small attempts to bring our hearts more into line with the grace of God, which, uh, you know, courses so generously from the throne on high. So yeah, that's just a little reminder, I think, for us too. Yeah, so as we as we turn the page and leave book one behind us, getting ready for book two, I guess a question that we can take with us is, you know, what do we seek in our lives to fill our lives? You know, what is it things vain or is it things God? It's worth asking. It's questions that St. Augustine has been asking through this book that he's been reflecting on. It's what he's going to continue to ask and so sort of sets an example for us to ask and in that to give praise for God's good gifts and his mercy for for us. So we'll leave you there with book one and we'll pick up with book two uh, tomorrow. But in the meantime, know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics. Mm-hmm.